Welcome to the Anthro to UX podcast, where you will learn how to break into UX with an anthropology degree. Through conversations with leading anthropologists working in user experience, you will learn firsthand how others made the transition, what they learned along the way, and what they would do differently. We will be discussing what it means to do UX research from a practical perspective and what you need to do to prepare a resume and portfolio. I'm your host, Matt Arts, a business anthropologist specializing in design anthropology and working at the intersection of product management, user experience, and business strategy. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Matt Arts of Anthro to UX. Today, I'm here with Lisanne Norman. Lisanne is a UX research leader at Gusto. She was previously at Visa and Dell. She has a PhD from Harvard in African and American studies, as well as social anthropology, and is the co-founder of Black UX in Austin, Texas. So today would be a great conversation. Going to get into some things like inclusive design. So, but before we get there, uh, Lucien, would you, so you know, a little background? How did you come into anthropology? So uh, it was pretty interesting. So it's kind of. It's been step by step. So when I was a senior at Brown, I did development studies. Uh, and part of that curriculum was, you know, to can take an anthropology course. Uh, and at the time, I'd never taken an anthropology course and was sort of like, I guess I'll try this out. Um, and it just turned out to be a really rich and interesting course. And I was just talking to someone about this. It was taught by, I can't remember the professor's name, but she was... Um, an African-American woman, and she was just, her take on it was, you know, very uh, inclusive and in-depth, and she was also sort of challenging the history of it. And I was like, oh, wow, look at this discipline that takes a look at itself, and you can sort of, at the same time, we're looking at other cultures and trends, we're also sort of looking at ourselves and sort of retrospective, like, what kind of work are we doing, and how is this work being produced? And I took that course in college, and I was like, okay, this is pretty interesting. Um, And then when I was in grad school, and I started to realize that, you know, I really wanted to study uh, the religious beliefs and faith practice of this African-American community. Uh, I took another um, anthropology of uh, religion studies course, and I was just blown away about of the, you know, the ways in which to approach studying religion, you know, through an anthropological lens and doing ethnographic research. I was really lucky to um, have had an amazing professor who just went in depth and also sort of, again, you know, woman of color who sort of, you know, showed uh, the breadth of anthropology, right? Not just like looking at Durkheim and, you know, sort of like, you know, those, and but also looking at, um, you know, anthropologists of color who'd done work, like introducing me to Faye Harrison and, and her work and really sort of, uh, it was eye-opening for me. So then when I was thinking about the PhD, Uh, I looked at, you know, uh, Harvard's program, particularly because it allowed me to major in both disciplines, right, to do a degree in African, African American studies, as well as in social anthropology, to be able to, you know, sort of marry those two disciplines and really be able to use the methodology that I wanted to use in order to get at um, the subject, to get it deeper. So that's really sort of my path. Uh, Again, it had a lot to do with, like, um, really incredible women of color who sort of introduced me to, um, you know, other folks of color doing anthropology. And that sort of really sparked my interest and, and showed me that there was a space and place for my work. Yeah, cool. And nice story. And so, but that is still a pretty far leap from what you're doing today, especially, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, a program like Harvard, you know, is not very applied in nature, right? Not at all. <laughs> in fact, it wasn't even inclusive of folks who were doing work in the United States, right? So my my area, my site was, you know, the New York metropolitan region. And there were a few comments made to me about the fact that, oh, I'd probably end up teaching in a sociology department when, when I graduated, right? Because I hadn't done my work overseas or, you know, in a somewhere else. Um, so that, that was also an interesting experience. So yes, my, miles away from all of that. And so obviously we'll, you know, get to how you got into UX, but maybe to just stay on that briefly. So there's the comment about, you know, teaching in sociology, there's sort of the lack of, lack of, you know, the applied focus. Um, but you did have the opportunity again, to sort of broaden your horizons and, and sort of read outside of the norm, which obviously is valuable. 
And so today you're bringing that into your work. So of course there's still value in, in that, but um, I'm curious to know like where, at what point, aside from working in the U S where did you sort of start to discover that you could do this work, you know, in a more of a business context? Um, huh, it really wasn't until after, you know, until I, after I graduated in 2015 and we moved to Austin, Texas, uh, I, I have to be honest, I had no idea. I, I didn't know that, right. That, cause again, like, as you mentioned, Harvard, they never talked to you about any kind of applied anthropology. And it was actually a fellow anthropologist who, when I got to Texas and I was like, hey, you know, I'm not going to be able to teach at UT, you know, the sort of agreement we had is not going to work out. And she was like, oh, but you're in like Silicon Hills, the new tech space in the United States, Austin. You have an anthropology degree. Don't you know tech companies pay anthropologists a good amount of money to talk to people? And I said, are you sure about that? Like, you're just off it. And she was like, no, 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 I, I promise you. And so I did a little research and I was like, oh, this is so interesting. Like, I, I didn't know that I could apply my skills, not only just apply, but that they would be valued in that particular industry, in that space. Um, and so I kind of really just started looking about it, looking around and I found uh, two great companies in Austin and I went to work with one, Centier Research. And it was really interesting in many instances, right? The leadership of that company all had PhDs. So what I was finding when I first kind of started putting out my resume uh, to another sort of research firm, they were like, oh, do you have a portfolio? And I was like, uh, no, I don't know what that is. Like, <laughs> I'm not a just like I'm, I'm not an architect because that's the only like in my head. I'm like, I'm like, I'm not a visual artist. <laughs> And they, you know, she sort of explained, and I was like, oh, well, now I don't have that. What I have is a very long history um, of ex expertise in research, right? And to being able to spot trends and be able to conduct interviews and talk to people as like, as, you know, I thought that those were kind of the skills you've listed. And they were like, no, 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 no. But with this company, they were like, no, we, we know what it takes, what's involved in the PhD. And we, and we know you have those skills. So come on board. Here is this crazy project that's a customer journey map for Dell go oh here oh by the way you have like five research assistants and this is a high priority project <laughs> go <laughs> I was like I have no idea what I'm doing they were like you're smart you'll figure it out and we'll be here like we'll be here to do some hand holding and you know um and I have to tell you I loved it I loved that was I think to this day probably the best job that I've ever had um and it was a great entry point into it because as academics we're kind of used to sort of longer research projects so this was a year-long study into every single aspect and I mean every single aspect of buying a personal computer like they wanted to know every thought like what did they think what did they do where did they go how um so it was just it was great I was like okay this I'm literally doing an ethnography <laughs> for Dell on buying a personal computer um, and so, yeah, and I, I had a great team and I just, yeah, I, I loved it and just kept going, honestly. So there's a lot of things in there I'd like to dig into, but you know, when you tell that story, it's, um, you know, you tell it in a very fluid way where it makes it seem like it was like a, a sort of nice linear path, but it also in there sounded like you talked to a few people along the way who, yeah. again, they were looking for the portfolio that yeah. quite didn't appreciate, you know, the value that you would bring with your background. And so... Can you tell us a little bit more about maybe the struggle, like in the beginning, like were you, you know, were you going to meetups, were you having to kind of network, were you interviewing and 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 maybe having a little bit of a struggle? Um, it was, I will I'll be honest, it was, it was a little struggle, but not a long period of time. It really was, uh, you know, I reached out to this firm and it was really that one firm that really was sort of like, well, no, you know, you don't have this and you don't have that. And I kind of, and it almost, it almost made me stop. I won't, I'll be honest. I was kind of like, oh, like, well, who's going to, if I don't have these, you know, this portfolio, if I can't show that I've had, uh, you know, I, two years in industry, like working, you know, like as a UX researcher. Um, for but then general, I, right? for a, exactly for a junior role. <laughs> and then I was like, 
Yeah, no. So I was a little discouraged, but you know, so you know, I was like, you know what? That's one company was saying. You can't let you know one company discourage you. And I just kind of you know kept just sent out two more actually, and then Centier got back to me very quickly. And again, I I I recognized that it had a lot to do with the fact that they were PhDs and that I had one, and that there was sort of like this unspoken um, understanding in some way. Okay. So obviously that was a little easier for you, you know, having the company, having a number of PhDs obviously made that transition a little easier, which is great. And and you're lucky for it, but of course that's not the experience of everybody. And so since some people do still have to give portfolios and since you already brought them up, I'd like to just ask you, have you ever made one since, or have you ever needed one since? (laughs) Funny you should ask that. So yes, I have. But it was a very, it was quite a few years before I, I had to make one essentially, because after uh, I did this, pro- I was with this research company, Centier Research, and worked on this project for Dell. Um, the woman that was in charge became uh, a VP at Dell, and she was like, "Would you consider? Would you come to Dell and work on Dell.com? Because now you know so much about it." So I was like, "Okay, why not? Let's let's see." So I went to Dell. Didn't have to <laughs> provide a portfolio. Um, went as a senior UX research and did uh, quite a bit of work helping them to improve their like enterprise portal experience, uh, as well as helping them to understand uh, what their customers would need or want because they just merged with EMC. So it was like a team of uh, UX researchers from Dell and then UX researchers from Dell from EMC, and we were working together to think about like how do we how do we marry the experience for these two different types of customers. Um, what could it look like and do some concept testing? And that was a really fun, interesting project. And then I was headhunted to Visa. And the um, my manager at the time was starting this brand new team to help improve the internal tool employee experience. And she didn't, she didn't know anything about UX, right? She was hiring sort of us experts to help her with that. So she didn't know that we should have had a portfolio. So again, I, you know, <laughs> next job, no portfolio. <laughs> so I was at Visa for about a year and a half, uh, leading a team of mostly UX researchers, but one young um, junior designer who was amazing uh, before I sort of was like, ah, oh, you know, this kind of like, you know, Visa, it's, it's kind of still too traditional. And I, I'm kind of looking for a new experience and to grow a little bit more and to, to really get the experience of doing more like pair design, doing um, more... Um, participatory design. Mm-hmm. And so a friend told me about uh, this e-commerce platform that was, you know, startup in Austin. And I was like, oh, all right, I'm going to talk to them. And they were like, okay, you know, like, make sure, you know, your portfolio will be a part of the process and you'll, it'll be a panel review. And I was, you know, I was like, yeah, great. Okay. It's like, and then went home and was like, oh my God, I don't have a portfolio. What am I going to do? <laughs> I have two weeks to get this together. So I contacted all, luckily, I knew a lot of UX researchers in Austin and who had always been like, how have you never had to put together a portfolio, Lucanne? I was like, Uh, so I just really started talking to a a few, really quite a few people and just sort of, they shared their portfolios with me, you know, like I got advice and sort of about, you know, thinking about like what, what, what projects to include, what to highlight. And it's really interesting because People, so many people have different takes on like what your portfolio is, and then like, and then to kind of this gray area between like what's a portfolio versus like what's a presentation that you're going to put together and sort of you know show during this. So it's been I've sort of have I'm like somewhere in between those two (laughs) right now, Um, and I did you know I did one for that company and then I refreshed it uh, when I interviewed with Gusto. Yeah, and so. Just to go back to to Dell, and if you can't go into detail, that's fine. We can move on. But yeah, so you got thrown into this relatively large project, not only just in terms of duration, but obviously in in scope as well. And so, what was that like? You know, again, you said that they would you know hold your hand a little bit if needed, but you still kind of got thrown in. So obviously, there's a learning experience there for somebody coming out of academia. So, how did you go about that? How did you navigate that? Uh, with a lot of doing my own, like sort of reading and research, um, you know, lucky there was uh, one of my research assistants had had some experience. Uh, and so I sort of, you know, spoke with her and learned a lot from her. 
um, I had to learn how to design a survey. I'd never, I, you know, we're anthropologists, like we, we don't do surveys. Um, and so I had to really sort of learn that skill and really sort of, um, you know, read up on it. Uh, I shadowed one of the, the women that was a VP. She was, you know, a great survey designer designer and so I shadowed her on a few of the studies that she was doing so that I could learn and understand um but it was really a lot of you know trial by fire there were definitely even some of the you know the the interviews where I was like I don't know what I'm doing here (laughs) I don't think we're getting any good data out of this like no clue and it was you know and they sort of allowed me that that room to sort of you know like err a little bit um but I heavily relied on on my team, uh, you know, sort of the the research I was doing. I started reaching out actually and trying to find other like through anthro connections. I was like, there has to be someone else like that I could possibly know, you know, who's had this sort of experience. Um, and I ended up finding someone that had also uh, graduated from the Harvard Anthro who was working at Facebook. And I was like, can you give me any advice? <laughs> like, can you can you help me out here? Um, and so, you know, learning how to write a screener, I, I didn't know what that was, right? And understanding and, and, and thinking about scoping out like a project and coming up with a research plan, um, that, you know, but like one specifically suited to, you know, this tech space. Um, and thinking about, you know, we were doing a diary study and, you know, we had this like online platform. So figuring out how to navigate this online platform, we were asking people to upload videos and, um, you know, we had a chat room for them and figuring, you know, just putting all these elements together. It was, um, it was a lot of trial and error and a lot of, you know, luckily like good folks to lean on to help me. Um, and I loved it. Honestly, I, I, I loved every moment of it. Like it's challenging and it really was challenging. It took me, it took me a good two and a half months before I felt comfortable, like leading this project mm-hmm. and being like, okay, I, I think I have a handle on this. And then started to implement some sort of organizational changes. Um, and then the reporting, that was a new thing for me, right? I remember I did my, my first report. And I asked um, my manager, one of the VPs, I was like, you know, can you look at this? And she, she, she looked at it and she was reading through it. And she was like, she's like, well, San, this would be a great journal article. <laughs> like if we were writing a journal article on the unboxing experience, this, w-, she was like, we would, this would, we'd be killing it. She's like, but this is a report going to executives at Dell. They're going to, they're going to look at this for like five minutes and in those five minutes, they need to know, like, what is the executive summary? What is the takeaway? And is there any actions that I'm recommending that they take based on this research? So I was like, oh, I need to cut this. She was like, yeah, by like 75%. Um so that, that too, that was a learning experience and, you know, like your audience, right? Like I learned, you know, I had to learn to write for a very different audience. Yeah. yeah it's funny that you pivoted into that story because I was going to ask you, did you bring in any of your academic baggage into the process? Because, you know, without having like, again, you said that they would be there if needed, but without having sort of like the past experience and sort of stepping right in, you know, you don't really have anybody to guide you. So is there any other funny things that you should have brought in some of the, some of the language of academia or anything else that I did. Like, I, I mean, my, you know, my wordy sentences and I think I used more over in, in one of my bullet points. And she was like, more, Lisanne, no, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I think I started, um, you know, I actually think I even was like, you know, and if uh, talking, thinking and talking to her like, Oh, you know, like, do we, is there like, a theory behind this and she was like no 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 you can't th- those are not things we talk about like in reports Lisanne. like you know they just but and these were really long reports these were like you know 100 slide like powerpoint decks and then even learning do to to work in a powerpoint like that you know to sort of that was a report like not like a law you know not a word document but like powerpoint and and really having to um become more visual uh, learning how to to bring that aspect in and, and sort of thinking about it from a visual perspective as well as like content. Um, and that was a really interesting experience for me. And there was a graphic designer on the team who really helped me to sort of, you know, like he, he would be like, okay, Lisanne, write out 
<laughs> what you want to say. And he's like, and then I'm going to show you how like I would translate this into like, you know, some more visuals. And that was, you know, and we worked together and that, that really helped me, especially going forward as I continued sort of being a UX researcher and then going uh, to work at tech companies themselves. Right. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Design is one of those things. I think every researcher and, and really probably everybody should have a, a little bit of understanding right? yeah. to be able to communicate visually is really important. And so um, can you speak anything else, just given the scope of that project, I find it kind of particularly interesting. So are there any other like new methods, anything that you got into? I know you said survey, but obviously journey mapping. Yeah. Yeah. Survey journey mapping, like sort of understanding, you know, like understanding what that was and what's, what was the best way to communicate that? Um, and we, you know, a lot of trial and error with that. Uh, what else did we uh, get into and learning to do um, analysis in a very different way, right? Like really like having it, you know, like using a spreadsheet, like an Excel spreadsheet to, to do analysis and to, you know, like figuring out other ways to, you know, like how would we tag? How do we code? Um, the other thing, task analysis. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know that that was a thing. And we were doing like a lot of task analysis. Um, what other skills did we um pick up on those were the, the the big ones for me like it was that that task analysis piece the survey piece and then learning how to uh craft a concise effective report mm-hmm. yeah and you know what's i think what's particularly interesting about that last point is that you are you're doing all these things over a very long period of time right and it's a lot of artifacts that are being created you know and, and you know, and that goes well beyond just sort of like the textual, you know, sort of, you know, PhD sort of way of, of approaching it, right? So we have all these artifacts that then, then in your case, you need to bring together and then report on in a concise way. And so that in itself is kind of challenging, right? Especially given, again, the length and scope of the project. So how did you navigate that particularly? Like, you know, you have your task analysis, you have your journey maps, you know, you have interviews and some observations, whatever, maybe survey data. So how did you bring that all together in, into a in concise way? Um, we, like team effort, honestly, I realized early on, cause I started out being like, I can do, I'm going to like have my hands and all oversee every aspect of this. And I was like, I was literally making myself crazy. I was working like 14 hour days. I was, you know, a Halloween, you know, my husband went to the costume party. I was at my computer, like, okay, I've got to get this report and then like have the survey. How am I going to tie this in? And so I, I learned to like really rely on my team and delegate and figure out like, what were the the skills and the interests of the different folks on the team and then be able to assign them to those different parts. Like we had someone whose um, role, because they wanted also to, to see every single touch point, like every email, every call, every like recording. So we had somebody on communications, like, you know, and, and, and sort of coming through that. And then we would all get together in a room like once a week and be like, okay, what do we have? Like, talk to me from like the survey and the dashboard, like their diary study, right? Talk to me about like, you know, the qual interviews we did this week, like, and that was my piece. And then we're like, okay, what does the comms look like? And then task analysis, like, and we would sort of like work together as a team to sort of be like, you know, what's the theme what the, and that's going through all of these? What's the trend? What are we seeing? Like, how do they all sort of tie together? Um, and it was, it was, it was, I really learned how to collaborate. Like I realized before I hadn't been collaborating. <laughs> like I, didn't, I didn't know what collaboration was, you know, and we also um, started to use things like a Gantt chart and like Asana to sort of keep track. Cause like, there were so many moving pieces mm-hmm. and so many people, we had like almost 30 people in the study who were at different phases and who were doing different things. Um, and so, you know, really learning also that organizational piece of it to sort of keep everything in track and like learning that transparency and sort of making sure that like we were we were moving at a good pace and everybody was aware of what was going on. Um, so that was also and that's where I really learned like to realize how much I loved that, how much I loved being in sort of that that position, you know, leading a team, um, sort of keeping us on track, keeping it together, but also to like empowering those folks to like own pieces of it that like they could sort of really get into and then hone their skills. Um, and we actually started doing skill sharing, like as a team, like figuring out, like helping people do survey design, helping folks do um, more visualization. Um, 
And then holding like design thinking workshops to work through like when we started to get to like really needy, greedy, difficult parts. Um, and that's been the first time I didn't know what a design thinking <laughs> workshop was. I said, I was like, what are we doing? Like, you want me to store? You want me to draw? I don't draw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, well, if you know, square circles and triangles are all right. Yeah, that's really, that's all I had. <laughs> and stick figures, that was my favorite thing. It gets you most of the way there. Yeah, yeah no, it's it's good and it makes sense of, you know, how you've, why you've gone down, you know, more so the sort of UX research leadership role, right? That's a really formative experience early on to kind of help you figure out how do you really pull all that together. And and so maybe then jumping forward to, to uh, out of, you know, those more... Uh, sort of tried and true industries to something a little bit more fun. You know, certainly the Gusto website has, you know, I haven't seen the product, but obviously the, the website has a modern feel, right? And so yeah. it's it's kind of classic modern tech now. So what was that transition like going from like Adele or, you know, Visa to, to hmm. you know, I don't know if it's a startup-ish culture, but something a little it bit is. more like that. Uh, it, it's 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 funny. I was just talking to someone about that. It's still a bit of a transition for me. I, I have to be honest. Um with I'm not like this ambiguous like this ambiguity is you know like norm at startups I find that a little bit difficult right mm -hmm. like I'm sort of like what are we doing can we can we explore <laughs> what we're doing is this the path we're going down okay let's go down this path but you know I had to learn to be like okay we're gonna go halfway down that path and be like oh no forget that let's move on <laughs> let's let, let's switch it try this so that it's that's been a transition for me and I think I've been I'm getting a little better at it now but at first like I was really like but I just invested all this time and, and energy into did you not see this research that I did that told us that like, <laughs> you know it'd be like no let's let's try something different yeah and and so I had to sort of get used to that and not take it personally right like not not feel that it was a it's not a rejection of my work or what I was doing. It's just more like this is just the flow and the way in which they, they work. Mm -hmm. um, also, to this idea of uh, one of the things I really actually really like about Gusto is that they do encourage us to be like, you know what, um, try it like and, and own it. If you see something, there's a gap there, then like just go start to work on it, you know, and we'll come talk to us about it and we'll support you. Like, you know, if you can show us that it's valid enough, then let's do it, right? So when I got there, they didn't really have a research team. Um, they had one researcher and a, a research ops team, which I thought I was like, that's great. Because um, usually that's not what you find. And they were, and I sort of just crafted this vision. I was like, look, we need a research team, um, you know, to support this product. You're trying to you know, grow as a company, we're going to need more folks to work on these different aspects and to be able to contribute in a more meaningful way. If, if this is if this is really what we're doing, we're trying to push the product forward. Um, and so, and you know, like I put it together and took it to the the the, the one of the co-founders, and he was like, "This is great. Okay, let's go, <laughs> let's do it." And I was like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> that was this is a little weird." <laughs> um, so, yeah, and then just really starting to to, to do that work to sort of um, start to build up a team and figure out how they would how they would be embedded. Um, one of the things that was also really interesting for me that I found moving from like, say, a visa to uh, a startup was uh, this idea of like pair design and collaborating with a designer, right? Like having a researcher and a designer really work closely together as well as a PM um, and our and engineers, like, and, and sort of having them be, you know, not necessarily leading the research, but definitely be a part of the planning, be a part of the the visioning for it. And then um, a part of the analysis piece. So like really sort of getting to change that culture. And I found that um, A, I love that. And B, we started producing better products, right? Yeah. Because from the beginning, the designer can see like where someone was struggling or like, you know, sort of start to see trends that they then took that from knowledge with them into uh, the design, well, the designers and design process, and then the engineers into the development process. Um, and I've really been enjoying that aspect of it. Um, the one thing I do have to say this is a little weird for you. I'm a very, I'm a New Yorker. I'm very much like I'm direct and I'm straight. And I find that like people perceive that as being abrupt. Like there's kind of like this California startup kind of way where people are kind of meander around things and don't, <laughs> don't say things directly. And I'm always like, wait, did you mean this? And they're like, oh, well, well, yeah, but you know, I was, I was like, okay, let's just, let's just say this and let's just keep going. Let's just keep going along. So mm -hmm. I, I've, I've found that I've had to sort of, 
you know, tone it down a little bit. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I th- it, it helped to sort of cut through like things that should have been a 20 minute meeting, right? Like I was finding that I was on these 60 minute meetings. And by the end of it, I was like, did we make a decision? Like, are we, are, are, are we doing something? <laughs> so I had to sort of be like, okay, guys, let's, let's sort of, let's reframe this and let's sort of like, this is what we're aiming. This is what's missing. Let's just, let's just get to that 20 minute meetings now. I love it. So in there, you said something that, you know, we kind of glossed over, but might be helpful for anybody who's relatively yeah. new. So you, you use the word embedded and then you went on to sort of describe the team. And so it basically sounds like you have various product teams with one researcher, you know, maybe one designer, you know, one PO or PM, depending on how you title it. And then, you know, some engineers, is that correct? Yes. Yes. That's kind of how we've been organizing ourselves. And we're, we don't yet have a researcher per product team. We're, work, we're, we're working towards that very much, but that's the general model. Yeah, that's the idea. And so in that sense, that creates, you know, there's, there's pros and cons, of course, right? If you're sort yeah. of a, a centralized team where you're sort of shopping everybody out per the need, it's a little easier for the research team to stay aligned. It's less easy for product teams to stay aligned with the research then. You know, and so as you, you as the leader, if you have people who are embedded that you're leading, what are you doing anything to kind of pull everybody back together and make sure that, you know, insights are appropriately making, you know, their way across the organization? Yes. And we've been really working on that. So one of the things we do, we make sure to have like a weekly team meeting, right, where all the researchers get together and we sort of go through our projects that are currently going and then what anything that we might be scoping that's coming up. And one of the reasons that, you know, I think it's really important is that I found like in a lot of these products, there's, there's, there's overlap, right? Um, and at first, what I started to notice, I was like, wait, we're talking to users um, and then asking them for the same information. Like, let's partner up, right? This allows them to partner up and then be able to get like what they're looking for and to understand, like even for their products. So that's that's been really good. And then we're sharing insights. We're trying to, we're working on a newsletter. We're also making sure that um, we have a little bit more visibility now at um, monthly product, the whole product to be able to share out and be like, okay, UXR insights, like this is, this is what we're, we've got, like, you know, across products. And then we try to align like any findings that we have, that we have, and that we make sure then to be like, hey, you know, um, you know, the integrations team, like I was working on payroll, but he, they mentioned something about these integrations, like, hey, I think this will be really useful for you. So we're also, you know, making sure that we're spreading those insights across. And then we're also working on building a repository, um, which has been a big challenge. <laughs> um, no, I know I've never talked to anybody who's cracked it. So if you have it, I'd love to hear it. <laughs> uh, we're, we're working on it. If, if it turns out to that this, I will definitely make sure I share it far and wide because, yeah, it is a it's a tough one. Yeah. yeah whoever uh, cracks that and writes the paper on it is going to get it's gonna get some good visibility because <laughs> yes. I've never met anybody who says it's, it's working well. Yeah. It's yeah. Tough. So, so um, you know, you you come into this culture, there's only one researcher, which to me would imply that they likely had PMs in place before, like, you know, the research team, which potentially also implies then that the PM was doing research. Yes. So are they still, I mean, if it, you said that they're still involved and they should still be involved. Of course, everybody should be involved. Um, but what was that like in the beginning? Because that's, you know, that's one of those things where somebody could walk into a new role, you know, PM, PO might already be doing it. There's could be a little friction. So how did you, how did you work your way through that? Um, we're still, we're, we're still working our way through some of that. <laughs> um, and in many ways, because, you know, they're, the PMs were doing a lot of the research and they were used to doing it in, um, a certain kind of way that didn't quite match up with the way in which I would like to do have do the research and have the research done. So we're actually sort of in this transition phase now where um, because there's so few of us, we're partnering with them and we're like making sure like, okay, come talk to us about the plan. And if we can, we'll help with, you know, some of the interviews and then the analysis. So we're actually taking them down a different route of analysis that they've never done before. Usually what they did, they, you know, they did their notes in an Excel, Excel spreadsheet. And then even their debrief, like after they debriefed after each interview, they would have like the, a specific set of questions to be like, okay, did we see this, this, this? And I was like, well, you know, can we try something different? Can we actually just try 
let's debrief what stood out to you. What what are the things that like you were like, wait a minute, hmm, that was interesting or look at, you know, he's the person said this is, and, and, and that was a change for them. And it was, you know, and then I was like, okay, so after this, let's take those and let's actually work in lucid spark. Let's get in a chart and let's get in this, you know, this whiteboard, um, you know, and let's, let's put those insights in and let's talk about them. Let's, you know, do some affinity mapping. So it was, it, it's, it's been a journey and they were, you know, it's taking longer than they would have liked. Cause usually, I mean, they, turn around, quick turnaround. Um, but they're also finding, they're like, oh, I didn't realize that. Like we were looking at the security thing and I was like, yes, but like there's what's underlying that and what, what is it really speaking to? And, and how can we look at that and then bring that into the product that will actually delight, you know? And so it was showing them how like that it's worth the effort <laughs> to take the extra time. Um, and so we're, we're really trying to work on that and, and partner with them. Cause the other thing is too, is we have, you know, marketing doing research. So then, you know, talking to each other about like, uh, what are the different perspectives that we're taking on as we do this research? And then how can we sort of work together as well, um, to make sure that whatever research we're doing, we can both be able to use or can assist us in whatever our, our ultimate goal is. Um, so that's, that's been a process. I think it's, I think it's going well so far. Um, but we're really, and what they're seeing is too, like, oh, we really do need more researchers. So that's the other thing too. It's like the PMs are being like, hey, who do I talk to? Who do I talk to to say we need more researchers? And I'm like, yes, keep, keep putting that message forward. Um, yeah. So fingers crossed. Definitely a good sign when they're asking for it. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> what you said in there, it's kind of like it reminds me of the product process. And I work in both product and UX. And, um, you know, we obviously there are sort of different perspectives for, you know, which is obvious to say, but it's kind of like often in the PM space, it's, yeah, it seems to come more from like a searching for known unknowns, yes. you know, and, and less sort of inductive and finding more of the unknown unknowns. And so, you know, there's, they can complement each other for sure, you know, and, um, but it it is interesting to see because you know in in Scrum and such methodologies which you know get stacked on top of the agile sort of philosophy and you know are are involved in a lot of tech, you know the product person is doing the research. So it is you know as UX gains you know more foothold, it is you know an interesting uh, it's it's an interesting process to watch each organization navigate. And then you said also that you have marketing, which is you know also doing some research, which is a whole nother layer and a whole nother way of doing research yet again. Yes. Which is interesting. And of course, all, you know, all those perspectives together can be really great, but it's again, a process of, you know, being kind of the culture broker and bringing it all together. Yes. Yes. And that's where I think too, like one of the things I was uh, talking about with uh, Rachel Fleming, she's also an anthropologist and you know, you know, Rachel yeah, yeah, you know, is like how we're, how we're the, you know, we end up being this cultural broker between these different groups and being like mediators and able to sort of write, because we kind of can step back and be like, okay, like, you're using different language. You're using this, like, let's figure out a way that like we can understand each other and we can communicate across like our different kind of silos. Um, because that's what I've found is, is gets so problematic as a, as a company, particularly startups start growing is that that silo starts happening and no one's thinking like, how do we, how do we talk across that? Because at the end of the day, it's, it's for the customer it's just one experience, yeah. right? And we have to be able to think of think of it in that way and think about how we're all different pieces of it and understand what's happening like in these different pieces so that we can create an optimal overall great experience. Yeah, and, and that's of course even more challenging when there's different products. So it seems like maybe, did you start in one space like payroll and then sort of you know branch out into other areas or? No, like I'm sort of, just looking at it all, which is why, like, you know, I get that, that sort of step back perspective to sort of look at it all like payroll benefits. Um, there's an accountant piece to it. Like there's a lot of different moving pieces and it's sort of like for me stepping back and looking at like, how do they all work together? Where, where is their friction? Where do some just not work together? Um, and then being able to find researchers who can then work on the specific different parts of the product. And though the the product though, uh, did they start in one area and then keep adding on like additional yes. HR yeah. services? Yeah, Gusto started out really doing just payroll. Like okay. they were, they realized that that was the biggest pain point for small and very particularly for small, medium businesses, like, but small, small, like one to 10 employees, like that's their sweet spot. 
um, and built a great product for that. And now they're sort of looking to sort of keep shifting, right? Like keep adding more folks to that. So the product grew to include benefits as well. And that was a huge um, move and shift for them because there was a demand for it. Um, and so they're kind of looking to you know, keep expanding a little bit more in that space um, to offer even more on the platform. So benefits is one of those things we've all gone through, you know, as, as employees and it's often complex, right? It's often difficult, um, you know, just tough to make sense of. And so, you know, especially right now during COVID, how have you been sort of navigating what the, you know, with the, uh, employee experiences like using, or is it, I should say, is it HR that's using the tool or is it also the end user, like the, the employee? It's that- both. So that's what's in, it's usually for the benefits piece though. It's really mostly HR. Um, the employee uses a tool more from like a financial perspective, like they, you know, being able to get their pay, being able to create a savings account, being able to have a wallet. Um, so it's really figuring out how to help that HR admin navigate that. And I wasn't there really during the early COVID piece of it, but I, I kind of, when I came in, I, I saw what they did and they like, I mean, really, they were great about offering so many resources like to their customers to figure out like, how do we navigate this through payroll? How do we navigate this for our benefits like to get through COVID? And that's one of the things I think that, you know, so many of our customers now like were sort of giving us kudos about like Gusto, like, thank you. You helped me navigate what, 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 you know, could have been a very horrible experience and it was difficult for everyone, but you all helped us to make it a little bit easier by being so upfront and like connecting with other, you know, like going above and beyond and, you know, connecting with, you know, CDC for the small medium business bureau to like, then have those direct resources available on the platform so that people would be able to get help and it'd be continually up to date. That's nice. One of the things that strikes me as being challenging, you know, when I um, kind of like finance HR, at least in my experience, HR tends to have a lot of paper processes still, right? And, um, yes. you know, of course, not all industries are like that. I mean, like, I haven't had a pen on my desk in, like, 20 years, you know? <laughs> like, it's, it's just, you know, I'm a tech person, I don't... But, you know, there's there's some areas, functional units of business that are still very paper-oriented, and HR is certainly one of them. And so um, that's, it's an, you know, maybe you haven't had the opportunity yet because of COVID, but it also seems like a ripe area to really be doing in-context research, understanding like the work practice of somebody in their office. Yes. Yes. Is that something you're planning to kind of get into post-COVID? Yes, we're definitely planning to get into that because it is, it, it is make, it does make it difficult, right? Because we're talking to people now, of course, you know, using Zoom and whatnot, and we hear about all of these manual processes still that folks are doing, uh, particularly in the space of hiring. That's really where we've seen like a lot of this manual like paper um, misuse. Like, so people have files. Like, somebody like still was like, "Yeah, no, I have a file cabinet with people's resumes in it." And I was like, "That's incredible!" And my, I was like, "You know, we're all like thinking, how do we, how do we get you, how do we get make that digitally for you now, right? Like, how do we, how do we get you to use Greenhouse to then integrate with Gusto?" Um, so I can't wait. Yeah, we've already started like thinking forward and starting to plan like when do we think we'll be able to safely, you know, go back into offices and when do and what will that look like for us going forward? Because it's true, we really need to be sort of like shadowing folks and sort of seeing actually what they're doing, um, because that's going to really help us to figure out particularly how they collaborate with each other. That's been something that we've recently realized is a, a huge challenge and that no one in the space yet is quite doing it right. Like people are trying, but you know, it's, it's still a pretty frustrating experience. So that's going to be something that we're particularly going to want to do like in-person contextual inquiry on. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That'll be fun to get back. I know everybody we talked to is dying to get back into, you know, into the field a bit. Um, so how about, you know, in this, to go back to a little bit to like mentorship and sort of the, yep. the startup culture, um, you know, all along your career, obviously you've been learning new skills. As soon as you walked into Dell, you learned new methods and, you know, new, new artifacts and all that stuff. Um, but, you know, I'm wondering, is there anything sort of like UX adjacent that you have been working on? Like anything in the product space, you know, that you've been sort of trying to upskill yourself on or your team on that just helps UX be sort of a better player? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so recently I've been 
really pushing sort of, you know, inclusive design um, and really, really asking us, so like, how do we, how can we start thinking about how do we start to change some of the pro- the processes that we have in product design to A, uh, go through exercises where we think about our biases, right? Where we think about, recognize them, and then how do we work to mitigate those biases in design? You know, like, how do we think about, like, who our end users are um, and start to think about that, you know, people have different experiences, you know, based on things that people don't want to talk about, like based on gender, based on race. It's just it's just a reality of, of our lives. It's a lived experience. So one of the things, you know, we're really looking to do is to start to think through, like, how can we change? And we've been, you know, looking at folks like Project Inkblot. Um, thinking of possibly having them in to come, you know, help us walk through a framework to help to redesign our processes to make it more inclusive and have it be something that's more long-term. You know, we're also been taking a lot of, um, from Benjamin Earl Evans, we had a fireside with him where he came in and sort of talked to us about what he was doing um, to mitigate inequity on the Airbnb platform. You know, and to sort of think about, you know, like us doing our own audits and assessments internally to see like where are we where are we not missing the mark, mm-hmm. right? So we're starting to to go down that that route and that um, and to really think about these things. And it's been it's been great to see Gusto be so open to that yeah. and, and to embracing that kind of a change and to also think about you know, like now asking for demographic information, like we weren't asking any of our businesses for any kind of demographic information, but now being like, you know what, we're, by, we're doing a disservice by not doing that and for making an assumption that everybody's using the platform exactly the same way. It's just not true. You know, people have different businesses in different locations and there, there's going to be variances. Um, so that's the other thing too, that we're starting to talk about um, because th- that also helps us when we're recruiting for our studies, right? Like making sure that we have like representative um, folks in that are a part of our participant pool. Um, so that that's also been, you know, really great in undertaking that sort of leading that effort there um, as well as doing that outside of Gusto. Um, you know, like one of the things I, you know, we talked about and that's been, um, been really proud of, particularly that we did this during COVID was uh, starting Black UX Austin, mm-hmm. um, which is a group for, um, you know, folks who identify descent in the Austin area who work in UX to uh, create a safe space where people can talk about their experiences, you know, get some advice, uh, get mentorship even, right? You know, think about like, hey, I'm new to the field. We see a lot of that hey, I'm new to this field of UX, how should I get started? You know, what are some of the things that you would recommend? Um, As well as, you know, bringing in speakers uh, who sort of, you know, who talk, like we had Oveta Sampson in, who's like an amazing, you know, product lead at Microsoft to sort of talk about her experience. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we also do have panels where we had, you know, for Latin History Month, we had like a panel of, you know, Latinos in tech to be like, you know, let's talk about your experience. Like everybody assumes, oh, we're all folks of color, but we have different experiences, right? Um, so it's been it's been a really uh, it's been a great just to to sort of really promote this organization and grow it, um, and hoping that we get back to in person yeah, yeah. uh, events soon. Yeah, we all are for sure. But so yeah. we'll come back to some recommendations there because you mentioned um, that word. But just to to dive into this a little bit. So you know, how do you look at uh, you know for anybody who's listening that's maybe not already looking at inclusive design? How would you sort of frame that? Um. I would frame it in what way? I just want to make sure that I'm answering the question. You know, how would you explain it maybe to somebody who's... Okay, totally. Yeah, I would think about it in this terms, right? Like a lot of the products um, that we use, right? Like we we all use digital products like throughout our lives. And most of these products are designed by mostly white men who then only test these products on white men. So if we think about, for instance, um, Google was, you know, really working with their uh, self-driving cars. And when they started to do the test, they realized that, you know, over like high percentage, like 35 to 45% of the times, these vehicles would strike folks with darker skin tones. 
Um, and then they went back and they're like, wait, this is so strange. Why would this be? But it turns out it was because, you know, the AI they were using, they'd only been feeding images of lighter skin, predominantly white people into <laughs> this, you know, into this, this database. And so it was, again, you know, it hadn't occurred to them because when you looked at the design team and the engineering team, they were predominantly male and predominantly white males. It hadn't occurred to them, right? So in this idea of inclusive design, it's like expanding and thinking about, you know, other folks who don't look like me, like, I, if I'm really designing for everyone, then when I'm doing research, when I'm doing testing, I should be getting people who are representative of the population in the United States. That would mean like testing on, you know, like African-Americans, Latinos, Asian-Americans, like everyone. Um, so the idea is that if you if you're truly saying that your product is for everyone, then you should have thought of everyone while you were doing it. And the other thing, too, to think about that is also to who can who might be most harmed by this product right like who 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 might be that community that would be most vulnerable and then thinking of starting to design from that point right from understanding because if i design for that community then everyone will end up benefiting from this design and it'll truly be inclusive and i think that more companies are starting to to really sort of understand that to sort of take a step back um and think about like, oh, wait a minute, right? Like, I assume that everyone can, but I really don't know because I didn't actually like take everyone into consideration or as many different kinds of folks into consideration, you know, like when I created this product. Yeah. And so yeah, two comments to that. You know, one is, of course, it's not just, are we recruiting, you know, a diverse population and are we testing on a diverse population and thinking of that diverse population then when designing, okay. but also are we diversifying, you know, the team? So it is not yep. just the white tech bro team that's yep. in their hoodies sort of yep. yes. playing games at and, night and building products that's <laughs> really at least to, you know, one neighborhood <laughs> only. Yes. And, and that's the other piece of it too, right? Like that we're thinking about, um, and that, you know, one of the things too behind Black UX Austin was like finding folks to then be able to say, hey, like for those of us who are more senior in the industry, like, can we help you to develop to the point that we can help you find jobs, right? Like in this industry and in this space. Um, and I will have to say, I'm going to have to plug Gusto and give them lots of kudos because so we're going through this huge hiring um, piece, right? We're hiring a lot of designers. We're about to hire two senior UX researchers. Um, and we've been so intentional about how we're sourcing, like who we're looking for, right? Like we're really going through LinkedIn and we're tapping networks and we're really sort of asking ourselves, have we done due diligence, right? And one of the things that I'm also sort of now pushing for and becoming more aware of is like, you know, are we limiting who we're looking at because we're looking for folks who only have a college who have a college degree a four-year college degree um you know like are we not like how do we how do we open up the search that we're also getting folks who just who have a lot of experience who've been doing this for a long time who you know on the job experience and who can bring who are going to bring a lot to the table right because they are going to have a different perspective from somebody who went to a four-year college and you know so sort of also thinking about it that way and how much how that will open up um, the the diversity of the team, yeah. um, and then the thinking and the approach. Yeah, and you you know uh, an argument for that. Previously, you had said about you know design for those who might be most harmed, and you know I'll just sort of summarize. The rest will almost kind of take care of itself. And what I one of the things that brings up to me is you know, we need to start thinking beyond the product a little bit. There's all these externalities that we're now realizing are happening that, you know, go beyond the maybe assumed use, right, of the product. Mm -hmm. um, and oftentimes those externalities are on those with less power, of course, you know, or at least yeah. the, the ne you know, negative impacts oftentimes fall there. And so it also brings up, aside from maybe getting people who don't just have the, you know, the classic sort of background, right, education or, or otherwise, otherwise, you know, it, it also brings up like you know, a whole new skill set, really, right? It's not just the near-term thinking about, you know, what does this feature do for this particular user in the HR office? But, and, you know, maybe Gus is not the best platform to have this discussion, whereas like Facebook, it's very easy to have con yes. a conversation about something like externalities. But, you know, the to start thinking kind of into the future. And I think this is a little bit where, you know, to maybe tie it back to the PhD, but having that critical perspective 
it certainly lends itself to start thinking through those kind of problems. But, and you and I, you know, in a previous conversation briefly talked about this, but it also sort of oftentimes stops short of, well, what do we do next? Right. And, and so that is, you know, if you want to go down that path, I'm happy to do it. You know, I, I find the critical perspective very interesting, very useful, but it also to me feels like, you know, oftentimes arrested in, in like before it gets to the recommendations. And so like, how do we start thinking bigger in not just being inclusive in who we bring again into the, into to the research process and who's on the team, but really to kind of more from like a design anthropology or sort of futures perspective, really start thinking of like these externalities and, and the, the groups that it's going to harm. Like, you know, how, how do we make that leap? Any, any thoughts on that? That's a good question. Um, I guess for me, because the, the thing is, I tend to think through that. And, I've, and I'm finding now that like, I tend to think of next step and be like recommendation and be like, okay, what's the actions that, that we could possibly take? Um, so I, I think that I think a one of the things that is having more anthropologists like five folks who have that kind of thinking to come in and then be able to sort of um, like I keep like concept dreaming, but that's not the word I'm thinking of. But being able to sort of like you said, uh, think forward and offer up like possible visions of what that could look like. Right. Because that's the thing. Like we, we, we sort of do this, do the research, but you're right. But even like thinking like externally, like what kinds of things could happen? Like, I think being given the freedom to do that. And I think that what I've seen is like folks who, who do that, but aren't, uh, because that, because that future thinking or that idea of like considering like what can be the like external possible harms or even positive things that can happen, folks aren't interested in necessarily they're more interested in the here and now Mm -hmm. and i think that being giving folks just the freedom to do that because i already think that there are people who do who do it and i and i i can't go to but i know there are folks where to go on certain platforms (laughs) at certain places we've discussed who who did do that right who you know came and were like you know what actually if we implement this like here's some possible things that could happen in the future that just won't be positive um but we're you know but because the, in the in the initial product, it was going to make a lot of money, yeah. right? And I think that's the other thing, the piece to it is thinking um, ethically, like in bringing those ethics into play and sort of really uh, having the power to do that. I don't think we're empowering enough folks, I think, you know, even researchers and designers to really think ethically, um, you know, and think beyond like what is the the dollar gain here? right? Like, how do we do that? Like, I don't think that there's enough encouragement of that. And that's something I've been trying to talk to people a little bit more about. And I think there's a, there's a certain openness, I think, to it at Gusto, but it is a business, right? So I think it's being able to then create the space so that we can, like, think forward and think like, okay, if we do this in the future, like, what is it going to affect? And, oh, wow, if it has this effect, let's really, let's talk about it. Like, let's think this through, like, and, and then decide, is it worth it? Um, which I think that too many of those conversations didn't happen, but there were definitely people doing that work. So I think that it's been there. It's just a matter of like actually giving space to it and, and being and making and willing to sacrifice capital monetary gain in order to not cause future harm. I think that's, I'm not, I don't know if our society's ready for that, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the, the thing about it, and we, obviously we've seen a lot of people leave some leading companies recently over ethical issues. Um, you know, but I, and maybe they're doing this, maybe they're not, but I wonder, you know, is there an opportunity to connect that kind of thinking more clearly to strategy, right? Because if it is not a sustainable strategy over time, then there is a monetary impact. You know, and so maybe it goes, maybe again, even the sort of, you know, maybe the future's thinking where we're offering up these scenarios in and of itself is still not enough. And it's still then how do we tie that back really to something tangible that a business can understand, like, you know, strategic intent and and like that body of knowledge to show how, you know, over time it, it may actually cause, you know, a negative impact. It may, may, it might have a bigger financial impact over time, ultimately. And um, yeah, obviously I don't have the answer to that today either, but it's, you know, I think somehow we all need to start kind of getting on, on a way of like a pulling together a framework for sort of working in this yeah. space other than simply sort of visioning what it may be, because, you know, while it's useful, if it doesn't convince anybody in the business, 
because yeah, yeah then it's not going to happen yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know like i an example i love is from sarah pink who <clears throat> who she talks about driverless cars and she mentions how you know everybody's talking about you know do you you know the, the person's crossing the street who do you hit right do, do you harm the people in the car or or the person on the street and she's like I, it's not even a question to me what about the person that that mods the computer, right? <laughs> that hacks the computer and writes their own software. So they always kill the other person. It's not a question of what like we design in that case. It's like, you know, what does the person who you know basically jailbreaks the car do? Right. Yeah. And, you know, so it's there's there's so many unintended that we we can't think of, but yeah. still, okay, that's a great argument for for having that style of thinking. But now what, what does do that really do that? mean to the bottom line and how what do we do about it still? And yeah. You know, so I don't know. Yeah. I uh, I would love to see what you know. I I would love to see what somebody else is doing in that space and how they might be ma- clearly articulating the financial impact. Yeah, I would love that to see that as well. But you, again, you'd have to have you know even I think even articulating, but you'd still have to find who are open to that, hmm. right? Like who are who are who are who are like okay, you know what? This is the 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 social impact outweighs the monetary. Uh, gain. And I don't know. I mean, I, don't, I just I don't know if we're there yet. Yeah, no, I hear you. But you know, it's it, it's obviously becoming important. You know, the days of just sort of digitizing some basic you know accounting process. You know, right, just, yeah. you know the, we're way <laughs> past that. I mean, like you know, I oftentimes don't talk about my own projects on the podcast, but we're designing an app right now for the art space, right? So think of all the diversity inclusion problems in the art space. Yeah, you know, and so these are things we're trying to actively work through because you could, you know, you could just build a better mousetrap and simply amplify them, you know, yeah. on, yep. via a digital tool and make it even worse. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's, 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 it's a great space and I'm glad you're doing it. So more about to, to go tie it back here to, to black UX in, in Austin. So, you know, you're, you're basically doing some mentorship there, obviously having guest speakers, you know, helping others sort of see the path as it will, you know, and bring them into the process, uh, help them find jobs. And so for, you know, any African-Americans or really any, you know, people of color, uh, do you have any sort of broad recommendations, you know, based on so far your experience with the group? Um, yeah, one of the things I, I, I tell people to connect, right? That's the first, like, if you're interested in this space, like, I mean, we have so many ways to, you know, find a, find a meetup, right? Like find us on meetup if you're in Austin, um, a, you know, find a meetup of, of practitioners who were, who were meeting of UX folks and join, join the meeting, um, you know, like talk to folks and, and find out what it's about. If it's something that, you know, really interests you. And if you are interested in this space, continue to to sort of try to network with those folks. Set up, I tell people like at the time, you know, find someone, just send them a message on LinkedIn and set up a 30-minute coffee. Like, hey, I've introduced yourself. Hey, I'm interested in this. Would you, you know, mind talking to me? You'll find that a lot of people are more than willing to do this, right? Like, you know, and I think also too, like, think about um, you know, because I know some people have managed to sort of, you know, like do the boot camp or like follow the sort of courses. On one of the things I recommend is to look in your community um, and, and approach somebody like, you know, in, in the community at a, a community nonprofit and ask them, you know, like, are there certain aspects of the folks you, you know, the community you serve that you don't know and you'd like to understand more and volunteer to do a project for them and to help them with something? Because then you're helping the community and you're also like getting something great to put in your portfolio because people are going to want to see some kind of, you know, particularly if you're, you know, even if you're junior now, you know, folks want to see something, right? And you want to be able to show them something beyond just um, you know, what you did like in the boot camp or for a course, but, you know, to show that like, A, that shows that you're proactive and you went out in the community and like, you know, you sort of created something. Um, then it shows just how much benefit then you were able to sort of add to that organization as well. Um, the other thing is, I, you know, like do, do the research. There's so many resources online and now in this kind of Zoom world, there are a lot of groups that are, that are meeting online, right? So I think that that's also democratized and made access a lot easier for folks. Um, but, you know, like even if you don't see someone, you know, who, who looks like you, because often in these spaces you won't, um, still reach out to someone and sort of, you know, to learn a little bit more. Don't be intimidated. 
by that, right? And that's the thing. Just don't be intimidated, right? Like you're be a cheerleader for yourself. <laughs> essentially, that I tell people a lot of the time, um, because you know there's the oppor- there are opportunities there. It's just a matter of like you know putting yourself out there and making that first step. And but really, I say network, network. Um, you know, sort of again, try doing these projects on um, and 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 talk to people. Like, that's really how you'd be surprised that, you know, like what can come out of like a simple 30 minute conversation. Great. And, you know, so just to challenge you on something now, I do suggest to people you volunteer and, you know, often a lot of volunteers can be taken advantage of by the organization. Like the organizations have a way of asking for more and more and more when they're getting free help sometimes. So have you just, you know, any thoughts there for anybody who, you know, might be in that position where they're struggling to get like sort of any, you know. Uh, they just, they sort of need something and, you know, maybe volunteering is going to be it, but to help them not sort of get taken, taken advantage of really. In that, in the volunteering experience. Yeah. For a lot of, well, I, that's true. So what I tell folks is that, you know, like go in already sort of knowing, like, like speak to them and sort of, you know, like you've had a little experience now, you know, like sometimes people be like, oh, can you speak to like 80 people? Be like, you know what? That's not really really feasible. Like I can, I can speak to 12 people and probably see some patterns that can help you sort of, you know, understand a little bit more as well as time box it, right? Like you're not, you don't have unlimited time. So sort of be like, you know what, this is something that I can help you with over the course of a month or two, right? Like, and it wouldn't be, so I can, you know, sort of set your limits um, up front. Uh, you know, I think that that's one way, the advice that I've given folks so that that doesn't happen. Um, so far, no one's been, I mean, maybe folks have been going to really great volunteer experiences. Nobody's had um, that kind of a, a crazy experience. Um, and it's actually led to some really great partnerships for them actually great. later on in their career. I will say that. Yeah, good. Well, that's really good to hear. So to wrap up, um, anything you want to plug, anything aside from, you know, what what we've already mentioned, anything else you want to bring up? Um, no, just, I hope like folks, if you're interested, you know, check out black UX Austin, um, please, you know, like I recommended people, folks read up on inclusive design. I think that all of us, you know, who are in this business should be aware of it. Um, and yeah, and if you want to, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, that's actually probably the best way to find me. I'm totally up in the, you know, connect and, and, and talking, having conversations with folks. I'm not big on Twitter or other social media <laughs> avenues. So LinkedIn would probably be the best way to, if you want to connect and continue having some of these conversations. Great. Well, Zan, thank you very much. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Matt. This was great. Thank you all for listening to the Anthro to UX podcast. To learn everything you need to break into UX, visit anthrotoux.com. There you will find all the podcast episodes and career coaching resources. Please like, share, and subscribe. See you next time.